Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to another ambitious entrepreneurnetwork.com podcast. The voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. Are you frustrated and confused about how to attract new clients? Nothing you have done is working and you're tired of waiting for the phone to ring. Imagine learning the tips and tools that will help you get noticed and booked by your ideal client and paid what you're worth for your amazing services. Now's the time to make your dream a reality and the Ambitious Entrepreneur Show will teach you how. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Hey everyone, welcome back to another show. This is episode 165 and joining me today is Travis Steffen and he's a growth hacker and he started, grown and sold six companies all without a single paid ad. Amazing. And today Travis is going to share his wisdom around the difference between growth and marketing, the difference between process-driven growth and growth hacking and the one thing you can do today to help grow and much more. So welcome to the show, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me. What a great intro. You make me sound so good. <laughs> Look, it is a pleasure to have you join us. I'm sure you've got a lot of expertise to share with us today. But firstly, let's just dive in and give an explanation or definition around growth hacking, particularly for those who may not have heard that term before. Sure thing. Well, I would say the growth hacking is kind of a buzzword in the industry out there and has evolved into something different than what it was originally intended to be. Mm. First and foremost, I'll go through like what it used to be and what it's become. What it used to be was a way of describing a hybrid of an engineer and a marketer, someone who could do programmatic growth, someone who could engineer products to grow themselves to ensure that you don't have to go with a traditional marketing spend and you can leverage your users to grow your product for you and do what is now referred to more often as product marketing or viral marketing, which is my kind of area of expertise, as it were. Lately, however, it's become such a kind of thrown around term Mm -hmm. that traditional marketers that have just kind of tinkered and tweaked their approach have started labeling themselves as quote-unquote growth hackers in order to get more business or, or what have you. And it's unfortunate to see because it used to be actually a really helpful way of describing a certain, you know, specific type of individual. Whereas now it's, it's more frowned upon by serious members of the community while still being looked highly on by uh, the layman or people who aren't necessarily as familiar with that mm. particular skill set. So Usually what I'll look for is someone who refers to themselves as a growth engineer yes. or, or even just approach someone who is an engineer and turn them into a growth engineer, basically looking at engineering through the lens of growth. Now, that I would say is an explanation of what growth hacking was and what it's become, but good growth within an organization is everything but hacking. 
and that's really important for everyone to note because most of us are wired to seek out the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. not only in business, but in fitness, in relationships, in life, in fi- our financial situations, but also in growth. And, and that's why the term growth hacking became so effective because it implies a shortcut. Yeah, Good growth, scalable growth, sustainable growth does not come from hacking or from shortcuts. It comes from process. Yes. And that's essentially what I specialize in. Yeah, terrific. Love that explanation. And I'm glad you did uh, clarify it for us because as you've said, and this this can, can be very annoying, someone or, or some certain people with perhaps, you know, some unscrupulous uh, business dealings can turn a word and, and really create kind of this negativity. And of course, the word hacking has got mm-hmm. a quite a negative uh, connotation. And as you said, this is actually actually uh, from a positive and if we look at growth engineer we can certainly really understand and begin to appreciate uh, what it is that that you and, and others who offer your services and expertise certainly uh, can deliver for us so when we're talking about then growth and marketing what would you say is the difference between those two things imagine growth as a pie chart marketing would be a piece of that pie chart, usually maybe a fourth or a fifth of the pie. Marketing refers to bringing users or bringing prospects from the outside world into the top of your funnel. It's recruiting new people, right? But growth refers to all aspects of the company from the top to the bottom of the funnel and beyond. So marketing is actually one of many facets of growth. Growth refers to marketing, yes, but it also refers to activation of those newly acquired users. It, it refers to you know their onboarding, the increase of lifetime value, the decrease of churn rate, you know, the increasing touch points of those users to, to re-engage them when they're falling off. It, it refers to, you know, the referral process and, and getting your users to recruit other users on your behalf that aren't in line with the traditional acquisition and seeding models. It also refers to certain aspects of just the way the product experience affects other aspects of the user journey. So growth, in essence, refers to anything that can help you grow the the company. It would exclude things like administrative duties. It would include things like legal and HR and financial items like, you know, the CFO's duties and payroll and other necessary aspects of running a company, but one that refers to the product and the way users interact with it in various Mm -hmm. ways. Mm. All along the pipeline, that is all technically considered growth if you are a rapidly growing company in a purposeful fashion. What I mean by that is sometimes there are companies who say they focus hard on growth. Sometimes there are companies that are growing quickly, but the companies are, who are growing quickly on purpose are the ones who stick around. They're the yes. ones who have engineered their growth into their organization because good growth happens when a product comes from growth not by building a product and then hoping you can grow it. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if we're talking then about process-driven growth versus growth hacking, what would you say is the difference between those two key elements? 
So growth hacking as it stands today, I would say, again, is just trying to teach people shortcuts in various ways, trying to teach you know maybe newbie entrepreneurs how to more quickly optimize their Facebook ads or how to more quickly get referrals from your email campaign or, or something along those lines. That would be, I mean, now what is considered quote unquote growth hacking. Yes. Uh, realistically, it's it's not that. It's just teaching an optimal way of doing things that should be done that way anyway. Process-driven growth effectively starts and ends with frameworks you create, processes that you create for your organization to run efficiently through the the lens of growth. So for example, the highest level framework that we use is something called OKR, which is basically, it, it stands for objectives and key results. And that framework allows us as an organization to focus on one and only one qualitative objective. We set multiple quantitative objectives within that qualitative objective. And then we intricately map out all of the factors that could make up each and every part of those metrics that we want to achieve. Mm -hmm. We then put blinders on and we don't focus on anything else. These are just rules that we set for ourselves in our organization. Mm -hmm. This has nothing to do with our product. This doesn't have anything to do with our engineering department or our customers or anything. It's just the way we're choosing to structure the way our company is run and the focus of the people who are around us working towards the common goal. If everyone is looking at one problem and then living and breathing ways to solve that one problem, growth becomes easy. Yes. It, it goes from saying like, I want to increase revenue in my company and there are 10 million ways to do that to, I want to improve the conversion rate of users from page X to page Y by 4% as an absolute number. Like what are 25 ways we could possibly do that through research and experimentation and intuition based on what we know about our users and tests we've run to date. Mm -hmm. And if we can live and breathe that for a period of a week, and then we can start to run experiments surrounding that 4% lift on that one page, and we can ensure that like maybe the three or four pages that we're focusing on lifting by X amount will result in the very specific metric lift that we want to achieve within that 30 to 90 day period, growth will happen. It's a certainty. And if growth doesn't happen, you've got a problem with your staff, you've got a problem with your tools of implementation, or you've just run, you know, strung together an unfortunate number of failed experiments, but you're mm -hmm. learning the entire time. And, and as an organization, you're moving forward. So mm -hmm. that's one example of process-driven growth. But that one framework that we use is the highest level framework, like I said, and every single thing that we do underneath it is also a framework. Every single acquisition mode, like mm. maybe the 21 different methods of customer acquisition that I've mapped as a growth engineer, every single one of those has a framework. And they're basically a series of pointed questions to get you to live and breathe why your users in your company may or may not realistically be acquired by that method. And it allows you to, to understand exactly what's happening, why it's happening, how you can make it happen more often, and how you can learn about it more effectively, do other things in your organization in the future. Mm -hmm. and, and it just always allows you to better predict how to run a successful experiment. If you can run those more reliably moving forward, I mean, usually the, the telltale sign of a quickly growing company is how many successful experiments they can string together. More often than not, like, you know, entrepreneurs that are just starting out will run 10 experiments and eight of them will fail if they're lucky. Yes. But the interesting thing is like companies at scale start to run experiments that 
might only have six failures or five failures because they start to learn exactly who their user is. I mean, we know to you know an intricate degree like who our user is, what they want, what emotion we want them to feel, what emotion they're feeling in that moment, what the context is through which they're seeing ads that we may run, what time of day it is, what device they're on, what connection they're on, what country they're in, what language they speak, what their race is, what their environment are, and in fact, levels are, what they wish they had, what they have now, all of these things just go through how can we place a user in the reality they have Mm -hmm. and show them the reality they want through the lens of using our product. And if you can do that, growth becomes, you know, a piece of cake. Yeah. Would you say, because one of the things that you were saying earlier and I, and I wanted to touch on, because I think this is something that so many entrepreneurs and businesses don't do, is you said with blinders on. So you were really focused. Do you find that A, business owners and entrepreneurs are not focused enough And B, do you think they give up too soon, such as, well, that failed. They don't really dive deep into, well, let's just really pull this apart. What did work? What do we need to do differently? And what do we maybe need to eliminate? So of those two things in your experience, are we doing those well or do we need to do them better? I would say that founders in general, like as a title, are going to be the most scattered people in your organization. And if you're a founder, there's no way around that. Mm-hmm. because you're going to have to be everything. Yes. However, if you are someone else within that organization that has a specific title, you basically now have permission to be the best in the world at that one thing. And you can live and breathe that one thing. So as a founder, if you're the only person in your organization, you're trying to improve at something, put blinders on and be that role. Yeah. You don't have to be a founder in that moment. Be your head of growth. Be your head of marketing. Be your head of Facebook ads. I mean, something that granular. And what you don't want to happen is you don't want to become a professional dabbler. You want to be a professional achiever. Mm -hmm. If you have like 25 things that you want to do in a year and you focus hard on those 25 things, you're going to, I mean, maybe get a few of them done and you're going to have a lot of like 20% done tasks. But if you choose three or four things and you're like from that list and you're like, I'm only going to focus on these, Yes, you're going to get those done so quickly. And then you can move on to the next two or three things and get those done so quickly because you're not spread so thin across everything. Yeah. Most founders, and I was guilty of this for six years. Most founders think that they they can do so many different yeah. things at we once. We can and, do it all. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's like we're ingrained with this belief like, oh, if you can dream it, you can do it or mm. just work hard or never quit or all these different things. And realistically, like, that mentality is awesome, but imagine if somebody else with that same mentality came in and they only had one thing to focus on mm. and all day long they focused hard on becoming the best in the world at that one thing. Guess how much more they'll be crushing it in comparison Absolutely. to someone who's focusing on 30 things. Mm. And I know? think it's a great reminder because, you know, as you said about founders, some they are visionaries and, you know, if they are not allowing them so, or creating the environment in which they shine and by having other people surrounding them who maybe are better at the, the nuts and bolts kind of thing, if you're trying to stretch yourself too thin, you're not going to tap into your expertise, are you? which uh, and then everybody ends up unfocused and not hitting their goals. So Travis, you also talk about performance-based growth. Talk a little bit more about that. Sure. So performance-based growth is essentially like it's a lot to do with the scientific method. You know, you're basically hypothesizing, running experiments, 
analyzing data, interpreting that data, and running additional experiments. So what I would say to most founders out there is we all have the instinct to take what I call the Xerox approach. We're going to copy what we feel other successful companies are. If Mm. this company is doing this, it must work for me. Realistically, if you ask the best growth engineers in the world and you come to them that day and you're like, how do I grow my product? Most of them will will look at you square in the face and say, I don't know. Mm. Because they haven't had a chance to dive into learning who your customer is. And you probably haven't either. Because if you knew that, you would know the answer. So performance-based growth is essentially saying, all right, I need to lift metric X by Y percent, by Z date, right? Mm -hmm. And if you get that specific with the targeted improvements, which your frameworks that you're using should guide you on, that really, if you're not like focusing on on performance, you won't become a, a high growth company. And if you do, it's it's essentially on accident. And don't get me wrong, there have been a lot of high growth companies that have occurred on accident. Hotmail, Dropbox, Facebook, for example, like these were high growth companies that did not know how effectively they'd crafted their viral loop in the early days. It wasn't until years later where they were studied after the fact and, and being seen so much as visionaries because of what they accomplished. But realistically, like Hotmail's founders did not want to create the viral loop that ended up taking them to a $400 million exit. They were dead set against it, and they got convinced to do so by one of their investors. Thankfully, they were convinced and they became who they became. But these guys completely stumbled upon their growth method. It's pretty fascinating. But if you can purposefully think through this thing, this kind of thing from the very beginning, like even before you create a product, be thinking about process-driven growth and you know, be thinking about dissecting your customer avatar and talking to your customers and figuring out exactly what they want, what problems they're having, what their frustrations are, and listening to exactly how they're describing them. Mm-hmm. Not only does that tell you what product you should create, but it also gives you the language and the copy that you should be like communicating with your users in. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So Travis, I know for a lot of entrepreneurs, they do have a limited time. And from what you're saying, and I think it's very important too, and I just want to stress this again for people who are perhaps maybe not investing as, as much time and energy in doing the things that you've just mentioned about testing, about experimenting, about tweaking, because they get frustrated. Well, and, and they throw everything out of the door before actually going to the point where they recognize what's not working for them. So sometimes it's hard to, to give an an answer it's kind of like you know how long's a piece of string but in your experience when an organization is going through this process they're running experiments they're tweaking so that when their ideal client comes to the web page or whatever it is that there is engagement that there is you know the kind of conversion rates an organization is looking for how many experiments how many different changes and tweaks should someone be open to investing their time and energy into? Like one or two is probably giving up too soon. Is there a kind of like a a figure or an understanding that we can share with people today? Well, I mean, I'll say this. The biggest favor that you can do yourself if you're having a question like this is go talk to your customers. Mm. Talk to them face-to-face if you can. Talk to them on the phone. Have email threads with them. Get to know them. Have a 100 conversations with your, your target prospects. If you're not converting the vast majority of the time, it's because you have not done this. Because mm. if you have, and if you're, if you're actually having authentic conversations, chances are you will be able to communicate with your customers 
And a failure to convert is typically a failure to communicate effectively. Yes. You have a limited amount of time and you have a limited attention span with most people on the web that are going to be landing on your website. And if, for example, someone is coming to your site, first and foremost, you've won a big piece of the battle. You've gotten their attention away from somewhere that they were and you've gotten their attention on you. Now you have to keep it and you have to build some trust, communicate like what value you can offer them, mm-hmm. which you will find based on your conversations with them. And you'll also find the language through which you can communicate with them to, to ensure that they understand that you know what you're talking about and that you're trustworthy. Yeah. Um, so, you, I mean, if you're someone who hasn't done that, there's no limit to the experiments you're going to have to run to find that perfect combination because you know, you're just rolling the dice and, and you're looking for a needle in the haystack. But mm. if you're having those conversations, chances are you're only going to have to try a few different things because you know, you're going to know people very well. And I'll also back up and say this. Most companies don't fail because they haven't been able to create a good product. Most companies fail because they've executed on an idea that they had. Mm. You hear what I'm saying? So, yeah. so most founders start companies because they have an idea and they get infatuated with it. Mm-hmm. I've started, I mean, 27 different companies and 22 of them have failed miserably because they were my idea. Mm-hmm. Six of them have succeeded because they came from my customers. Yeah. And, and it took me 22 different failures to realize what I was doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And that one success that I finally was like, I don't think I'm going to be Steve Jobs. I don't think I'm going to be this visionary. And most people think they will, but they're, you know, they, they never will. And most likely he was that on accident. But basically like the, the quickest path to success is just going out and asking people, mm-hmm. go find a customer subset that has money to spend on problems they're having. That's yeah. step one. Like if you can find a customer subset with budget and you know where to find more of them, that's step one. Mm -hmm. Step two, talk to as many of them as you can find. Talk to a ton of them and find the problems and the frustrations they're having. Find the ones that they're actively searching to solve and the ones that they're willing to pay to solve. Then figure out what their ideal solution is. What does success look like? You know, what is this ideal reality? When you have the answers to just those questions, conversions are easy Mm -hmm. because you can basically say, are you looking to solve problem X? Here is solution Y. If you've identified those as patterns throughout all these conversations, every one of the people that click on your website are going to buy from you. I promise you, like, because it's just a no brainer for them. They know the problem they're having. They're all having the same problem. You've identified the problem. And you're producing the solution. It's, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. I mean, passion is great. We, we all need passion to, you know, to empower and motivate us. Yet when you're talking about a product or even a service, a lot of uh, listeners are service-based entrepreneurs, you may be passionate about your service, but uh, at the end of the day, if, if clients or well, pros- prospects are not saying yes to your services or buying your products, then uh, something needs to, to be looked at. So, Travis, if listeners are thinking about the possibility of in- investing and ahead of growth for their company, what are some things that they should be looking for? I would first and foremost look for someone with an engineering mindset or with a, a background in product development. This person should have a very science-based approach. I wouldn't necessarily recruit a programmer, but you very well could. This is a very rare skill set. And if you're looking for a head of growth, you have to be willing to pay for one. You can't really find one that's just looking to work for free. It's not something that you can get 
from the ground floor with just a little bit of equity, it's, it's something that you're going to have to learn for a little while because usually the people who are worth their salt in a realm like this that is just not taught in school. Mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot go to any university in, in, in the world and, and learn process-driven growth. You just can't. It's something that's evolved very, very recently. Mm. Professors just don't have textbooks on it. Yes, and Um, continues to evolve, I'm I'm sure. With definitely, yeah, definitely. I mean, you can find programmers, you can find marketers, but you cannot find heads of growth. You're going to have to get them from within an extraneous, successful organization that is high growth, and you're going to have to headhunt that person. And until then, you're going to have to educate yourself. Is that a term that is now being used? If someone were to go to LinkedIn or type in Google head of growth, is that kind of the term that they would use, people of that caliber, or would they perhaps use other titles? In the tech space, you're going to find that, you know, that title used more often. You might find head of distribution. You might find... I mean, you could see growth hacker, but I just, I wouldn't trust it. Uh, I know like at, uh, yeah, I mean, you might even see lingo like distro in certain titles or you might see, yeah, I mean, product marketing is another one that's, that's thrown around, but yeah, I mean, head of growth is probably, you know, <laughs> that person's going to be very expensive, but mm. they're usually going to be worth it. So if you're, for example, if you've raised a round of capital, find that person. Yeah. Find that person and pay handsomely for them. Mm. Because without growth, you've got nothing. I Absolutely. mean, how many companies yeah. have, have built a great product that have failed because they haven't been able to acquire users and haven't been able to keep and monetize the ones that they acquire? Mm. That's the person that's going to determine all of this. It's going to be the person that uh, you know, effectively captains this part of your organization. It's actually why... You know, I so myself and one of my partners started a firm that act as an acted as an outsourced head of growth. I was just uh, going to for, say, is this something that you offer? We do selectively, mm. and we do so for certain companies that a we believe have high growth potential, which mm-hmm. aren't too many companies out there that that have high growth potential, and and two, they're companies that actually have a budget to to spend on growth tactics, whether it's engineering, whether it's tra- you know, buying traffic, but you basically have to be able to experiment and fail and be willing to allow your growth team to fail and learn mm-hmm. if you're going to be able to move forward. And companies who are basically afraid to spend money on traffic because they're afraid to lose it are the ones who never see any growth. Mm-hmm. So we basically like we work selectively with a few profitable or high growth or funded startups from the ground floor where we can basically cultivate the culture of growth within their organization. We work with them on strategy. We delegate tasks and we actually teach them the ins and outs of effective growth engineering so they can take that with them as an organization as they start to hire in-house employees and teach it to everyone as they go forward. Right. How can people get in contact with you, Travis? Find me on Twitter at Travis Stefan, two F's, two E's. Hit me up at growfastlabs.com. Check out our viral marketing blog, growfastlabs.com slash viral hero. Follow along as our fun little Kung Fu Panda character attacks the exciting <laughs> realm of viral marketing and, 
and learn about it more than than you would anywhere else. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. My goodness, there's so much to learn about that industry. But uh, again, reach out to Travis or, or either of the areas that he's just mentioned. We'll list all of those on the show notes if you want to go check that out. AmbitiousEntrepreneurNetwork.com forward slash AES165. Travis, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And if this is the first time that you're listening, it has been an honor to spend a bit of time with you. Come back next week. We'll have another guest expert. Uh, subscribe to the show too, ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com forward slash AES iTunes. Until next week, have a fabulous week. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Ambitious Entrepreneur Show. Do you want to promote your business to tens of thousands of other ambitious entrepreneurs, both nationally and internationally? I invite you to reach out and learn more about our customized sponsorship packages by emailing beasponsor at ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com. That's beasponsor at ambitiousentrepreneurnetwork.com and we'll send you out further details. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.